0: This week, on Myths and Legends, it's something of a fairy tale from the Arthurian legends. It's a standalone story that doesn't require much, if any, knowledge of the previous episodes. We'll learn that violence is never the answer, except when it is, and that true love waits. In the dark forest, ready to jump out at the king. The creature this time is a porcupine woman, who will remove your organs. (laughs) This is Myths and Legends, episode 282, All Night Long. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's a fun little story from Camelot. Like I said in the intro, it's a standalone King Arthur story. So we can step out of the shadow of our continuity for a bit and enjoy what's basically a King Arthur fairy tale, set in Britain in the early Middle Ages. All you need to know going into this is that we're in the middle of Arthur, King of the Britons with an O's, reign. Things are going well. Not too much is being asked of the monarch. In fact, he's taken a long weekend in the form of a hunting trip with his buddies, slash employees. The king and his fellow hunters have just chased a deer into a thicket, and Arthur has stepped forward with an unconventional order. Are you sure? One night asked the king. King Arthur waved his arms for his men to keep their voices down. They didn't want to spook the deer crouching in the thicket over there, did they? The king drew his bow. This one was his. Yeah, but like, we could go with you, Arthur's bodyguard said, but they needed to rephrase that. They should go with Arthur to guard his body because they were his bodyguard. Arthur commanded them to stand down. It was one little thicket. He would be within earshot the entire time. He would be fine. The men looked at each other. Uh, They didn't feel so great about this. Arthur said, please. Hunting was like all he had. Well, and the kingdom and the money and legacy and dozens of knights that would do anything for him. And he was technically the Western Roman emperor too. Still, he never got to do fun stuff anymore. He was too important to the realm, and so they kept him shut up in Camelot, while Lancelot and Gawain and all the others got to go on their adventures. So yeah. Arthur snatched a quiver of arrows from one of his guards. He would be in that thicket, being super manly and killing a prey animal he had trapped there. They could go to the tents and get a drink. Seriously, don't worry about him. He looked back over his shoulder as he crept off. Besides... He would yell if he needed anything. Yelling you're dead. Arthur heard about the same time as he felt the blade on the back of his neck in the thicket. The king froze. Oh, didn't think about that possibility. Arthur squatted, hands up over the body of the deer he had shot. Okay, hi, Arthur said. Two questions. One, did this guy have any idea who he was threatening? And two, could Arthur stand? He didn't have the requisite core strength to be squatting like this long term. My name is Sir Gromer Majeur, Sir Gromer Majeur said, as he did allow Arthur to rise and speak face to face. Okay, that name doesn't ring any bells, then that's saying something. It's very weird and long. What can I do for you, Sir Gromer? Sir Gromer sur Majeure, the knight corrected. Arthur nodded. Okay. You have dishonored my family, King Arthur. Sir Gromer sur Majeure said, pressing his sword harder against Arthur's neck. You have wrongly given my family's lands to Sir Gawain. There said Gawain. Oh, yeah, well, sorry he had to give Gawain's family a lot of land to placate him, after the War of the Eleven Kings. By the way, it wasn't mentioned on this podcast, but after killing Gawain's dad, King Lot, King Pelinor led the charge back to Orkney, Gawain's home, where they massacred the surrendering knights to a man, thus ending the rebellion. It wasn't mentioned on this podcast, but it will be a plot point in our definitive King Arthur book coming out in 2024, about which I am not joking, seriously, that's happening. Anyway, Sir Gromer Saumerjeur said it didn't matter the reason. Arthur gave Sir Gromer Saumerjeur's family's lands to Gawain, and he would pay for it. With his life. Arthur nodded. Okay. Sir Gromer Saumerjeur said, Uh, Arthur seemed to be taking this well. Oh, what? You You want me to cower more? Arthur asked. Sir Gromer Saumerjeur said, yeah, I mean, it would be nice. Oh, buddy, I've had guys saying they want to kill me since I was 12, Arthur said. The first, I don't know, dozen or so times, yeah, it was scary. Then I kind of realized that they all wanted something else. Besides, you think your family is dishonored now? How about after you murder the king in cold blood while he's wearing his hunting greens? There's no coming back from that one. So, what do you want? Sir Grosso-Major said, well, he wanted the king in his power one year from today. King Arthur needed to return, ready to submit his life, if he couldn't answer one simple question. Arthur couldn't really hide his smirk. Okay, cool, this was getting a little more interesting. Most of the times, these tough guys wanted a duel or something. Arthur would send in his champion, Gawain, to mow them down and Grifflet to chase away the rest of them. One simple question, though? He'd bite. Also, this guy had a sword to his neck, and Arthur was less and less sure that Sir gromer mersomageur was going to follow the script of his betters. Okay, the question is, what do women want? Sir Gromer asked. One year from today, Arthur was to provide the singular, satisfactory answer to that question or he was to submit himself to be beheaded. Arthur nodded. Okay, sure, no problem. He swore that he would return here one year with the answer, or he would die. Sir Gromer Sommergeur sheathed the sword. Very good. Also, Arthur should tell no one. This was his test, and his test alone. As Arthur made to leave, he said, he knew what women wanted, though. Arthur said with a chuckle. They wanted old Artie here. Yeah. Him. Sir Grimmar said, "Uh, Seriously. Arthur had one year and from the look of things, he was going to need it. Arthur bent down to pick up his stuff. He was joking. Relax. Besides, he hadn't been with anyone who wasn't with him because he was the king. Including his wife. So, yeah. He knew that wasn't the answer. Arthur looked up and saw that he was alone in the clearing with his kill. Sir Gromer sur was gone. Arthur reflected on his situation. He had one year. One year to find the answer to the question, What do women want? <laughs> Gawain, that's what all day and all night and sometimes a little into the next day, but then I gotta get going. Gawain grinned. Arthur chuckled. Yeah, he made that joke too. With his nephew, though, that was maybe a little more accurate. Gawain did pretty well for himself. Whenever he stopped the night in a town, he pretty much never paid for an inn. Gawain, or if you forgot or never knew in the first place, is the son of King Arthur's half-sister, Morgas, and her husband, King Lot of Orkney. King Lot hated Arthur and led a rebellion against him early in Arthur's reign. But Arthur quelled it, and then King Pellinore decided to treat himself to some war crimes and massacred the retreating knights, their families, and any villages he could get his gauntlets on. Gawain joined Arthur's court, though, because what else was he going to do? King Lot was dead, and Arthur was family. Gawain was a bit of a hothead, but once he got to know Arthur, he became fiercely loyal and was Arthur's top knight until Lancelot came along. Back at the king's table, Gawain said, Gawain might actually be the correct answer to the question, so, you know, write that one down. Then, Gawain's face lit up. Write it down. (gasps) Write it down. Oh, he had an idea. Gawain said that he would have some blank books made. Arthur had a year, right? They would take both books and ride around the entirety of Logris, the kingdom. They would ask commoner and noble, man and woman. Someone, somewhere, had to have an answer to the question, what do women want? Arthur said, a year-long road trip around the country to answer one question seemed a bit excessive, didn't it? Going nodded. Sure, but a uh, quick question, though. Did Arthur have any idea what women wanted? Arthur hung his head. No, he was just grateful for Guinevere, who loved him anyway. Hey, Where is she? I don't know, Gawain replied. Also, I need to find Lancelot to hand off my quests to him. Know where he is? Arthur shook his head. No, no idea. Weird. You could never find those two. For the year that could have possibly been the last of his life, Arthur was living it up. It was like he was 16 again, traveling the realm, not coupling up with his half-sister this time. Only his absolute closest advisors knew that he was leaving. And even though he got a lot of pushback on going solo, I mean, isn't that what got him into this mess? He was the king, so what were they going to do? Turned out, it was super easy to travel the roads in anonymity. It was not like they had TV or even pictures back then, No one knew the king was in town if he didn't have a dozen guys in front of him yelling that the king was in town. So Arthur and Gawain went their separate ways, combing the kingdom of Logris. Arthur got the experience of being a regular knight for the first time in his life. People treated him with disdain and contempt when he interrupted their day with his giant book. It was wonderful. They got a lot of good answers too. Or, you know, answers. The answer to, what do women want, can be rephrased as, What do people want? And in that context, it could be anything. Still, Arthur and Gawain needed one definitive answer. They heard a great deal of them. Some samples? Well, some said that women wanted to be well-dressed. Others, to be well-thought-of. Some, to be attractive. Others, to be flattered. Some wanted to be left alone. Others desired companionship. Some wanted a lusty man who, at night, would take them into their arms and kiss them and, you know, just really... Arthur put in ellipses for the next several minutes of very graphic description. He thanked Sister Elaine for her time and continued on down the road. Still, there was no standout. Gawain collected just as many as Arthur, and, yeah, several of his ended up being Gawain. For Arthur, as fun as playing knight-errant around Britain was... He had an appointment to keep with a bitter Sir Gromer-Sommageur in under a month, and he looked down from his horse. You. You there. Troll. Road troll. Get out of the way. I'm not a road troll, the form shouted back. Fine, ogre, whatever. I'm not up on the preferred nomenclature. Just get out of the way. Arthur waved. I think you should wait to listen to me. King Arthur, I hold your life in my hands, the form called out. Arthur chuckled, what? King Arthur, he wasn't that incredibly fit and attractive and smart monarch who still got it and can do like, I don't know, 40 push-ups without stopping. The not-a-road troll said, sure, but King Arthur needed to know what women wanted, right? He had many answers, but none of them felt right. Well, she knew the correct answer he could take to Sir Gromer Somerjeur. Arthur said, hypothetically, if he was Arthur, what would that answer be? She said she wouldn't just give it away. She wanted something in return. She lowered her hood. Now, this story isn't kind to Dame Ragnall. It says her nose was snotted eyes roomy, her dark yellow teeth hung over her lips, her hair was clotted and snarled, Dame Ragnall's shoulders were a yard broad, and she was shaped like a barrel. Dame Ragnall said that she wouldn't speak for everyone, and this wasn't the answer, but for this human woman, she wanted a knight for a husband, and not just any knight, Sir Gawain himself. Arthur sat back on his horse and stroked his beard. Oof, I mean, maybe... Honestly, this was going to be a hard sell for his nephew. He was very active around Great Britain. Arthur didn't see Gawain wanting to settle down. Dame Ragnell whistled and said it didn't matter to her. Take her deal and live, reject it, and Sir grummer sur executed Arthur in a month. It didn't matter to her either way. In fact, she would sweeten the pot. She would only marry Gawain if the answer was effective in saving Arthur's life. No risk, all reward. Arthur should go back and explain the situation to Gawain. He should be sure to accurately describe all of this, she gestured down to her face and barrel exterior. She would meet Arthur in a month, when he was on his way to see Sir Grummersommageur. If Gawain agreed to the marriage, she would tell Arthur the answer. If not, he could take his chances with whatever was in that book. Her palfrey, her horse, emerged from the forest, and she leapt up. One month, she cantered off, deeper into the forest. Arthur spun his horse around. He would ride through the night and make it back to Camelot before dawn. He had to have a talk with Gawain. We'll see how Gawain responds to this big ask, but that will be right after this.
1: Selling a little...
0: Gawain looked at his fruit plate and sighed. Alright. What is it? You see, in the legends, Gawain is known for being a bit of a hothead. So he was the fruit plate guy. He's frequently seen eating a fruit plate because it was thought that the cool of the fruit would help to alleviate his hot nature. So... When he walked into Arthur's room and saw a fruit spread, he knew Arthur was about to ask him something he might not be thrilled about. Hey, so, have you ever thought about getting married? Arthur asked, as Gawain was picking through the fruit. Not really, Gawain said. His lifestyle wasn't conducive to marriage. Maybe in a few years, when he wanted to settle down and not be so awesome. Couldn't fight like you had nothing to lose when you had something to lose. What I'm about to ask, it isn't easy, Arthur said, taking a seat. He explained the situation with Dame Ragnall. And the answer, Gawain spat the peach pit out. Yeah, no problem. He would marry Dame Ragnall. Arthur stopped mid-sentence. What? He would do it? For the king? Gawain asked. Of course. It was his obligation to protect the king's life. And that didn't happen only on the battlefield. His honor would be increased, even in this. Arthur, practically in tears, leapt up and hugged his nephew. Gawain was, truly, the best of the knights. He would never lose Arthur's love. A few weeks later, Arthur rode through Inglewood Forest. He slowed when he saw the beautiful Palfrey, with Dame Ragnall, as expected, a half-mile from the site where Sir Gromer-sur-Merger 1st threatened him. Arthur said it was done. If Arthur survived, Gawain would be her husband. What was the answer? Dame Ragnall nodded. Some women say they want to be beautiful. Others say that they want to be someone of significance. Some want to keep company with many different men. Others that they want that true love. Some want passion. Others want flattery and wit. But there is one thing that every woman, high and low, wants. What they desire most. Dame Ragnall told Arthur what it was. Arthur smiled. Of course. (music) Sir grummer sur Arthur said when he rode into the clearing. A knight so nice they named him thrice. How we doing, my man? He leapt down from his horse bowed before the man, exposing his neck for the sword, as he had inadvertently done a year prior. Sir Gromassomageur drew his sword slowly. Uh, Arthur was chipper for someone who was gonna die. Arthur said he had a good feeling. He showed that his hands held no weapons, and Sir Gromassomageur permitted him to stand. Arthur walked over to his horse and pulled the tome from his saddlebag. Arthur went all around Britain, asking Everyone the answer to the question, what do women want? Of course, he got a lot of good answers. A lot of super detailed ones, too. You think this answer is contained in your book? Sir grummer sur chortled. Oh, not in the least, Arthur said, chucking the book into the forest. He learned the correct answer this morning. From a woman he met in this very forest. What was her name again? Oh, yes. Dame Ragnall? Sir Grummer staggered back. That name. She. She told me the answer, Arthur smirked. Sovereignty. What? Sir Grummer couldn't believe what he was hearing. Arthur said, yeah. Sovereignty. Women, all women, from enslaved women to queens, want control over their own lives. They want to be able to make decisions about who they are and what they do. And they certainly don't want to have to listen to a man make decisions for them. They want other things, of course, who doesn't? But most of all, they want sovereignty. Sir -er Grimmer-sur-Merger, sheed the sword. That was the correct answer. His own sister betraying him like that. He looked up to Arthur. He was a man of his word. Arthur could leave in safety. He was still incensed with the king, but if they met in battle in the future, it would be in a fair fight. I look forward to it. Arthur nodded, mounting his horse. He rode off, back toward Camelot. He had a wedding to prepare for. (music) Guinevere looked Dame Ragnell over. Well... Cool. Um, she was heading up the wedding planning committee and had one of her ladies putting eye makeup on Dame Ragnall. Though, in truth, she couldn't quite figure out where the eye infection ended and the eye began. Besides, it wouldn't matter. No one's going to see her. What do you mean? Dame Ragnall asked. I mean, I've scheduled you to be married before dawn, Guinevere said to Ragnall, where no one will see you at all. You can be married in secret. It's perfect. It's also not what your husband promised, Ragnall said. She was to be married in the church during high mass, when the most people possible could see. Furthermore, Arthur would send out squires and flyers to all the shires, towns, and boroughs. Everyone would know that Sir Gawain was off the market, and married to Dame Ragnall. Then, they would all eat at the king's table that evening. She demanded it. It was the least they could do for her saving the king's life. Ragnall looked Guinevere dead in the eyes. She wanted to get married in the daytime, not in secret. They both knew the things that happened in secret. Guinevere glanced away, then forced herself to meet Dame Ragnall's eyes. High mass it was. The next day, Dame Ragnall walked down the aisle towards Sir Gawain. When she got there, she whistled, "'Wow!' Sir Gawain. For his sake, she wished she was better looking, but <laughs> she was content. She looked him up and down, hubba hubba. Gawain smiled politely, alright, didn't know people still said hubba hubba. Let's get the show on the road. Dame Ragna was dressed better than anyone in the hall, with a dress worth 3,000 gold nobles, an anachronistic sum of money for this time period, but don't worry about it. The pair said their vows before the entirety of Camelot, and they were wed. At dinner... Guinevere, Arthur, Yvain, Gawain, and, well, everyone sat horrified. Dame Ragnall hunched over the high table, grabbing at every bit of food that passed her way. Of the food she did get, which was most, she tore at it with her claw like fingernails. Grease dribbled down her chin as her dress that cost as much as a small keep soaked it up. She fought with servants until they took the tablecloth away. And also the takeaway here is not the eating, but her being impolite at a fancy dinner. After the fancy dinner, though, it was time. Gawain was mid-conversation when he was pulled by the elbow by his wife. His quarters, now, he had duties to her as her husband. Time to make good. Cut to them laying in bed next to each other. Gawain was staring up at the ceiling while Dame Ragnall was stroking his chest. She said that if he found her beautiful, then he would be acting differently right now. He had a reputation... He had treated many, many women like they were his wife. So, whether for her sake or for Arthur's, how about a little kiss? Gawain breathed deep. All right. For the king. He put on his most suave voice. I'll do more than kiss you. He rolled over and jumped so high that he almost fell out of the bed. The writer tells us that it's not blasphemy, but a legitimate call of confusion to God when Gawain looks at Dame Ragnall and says, Jesus, what are you? Because next to him was not the woman he married. I mean, she was, but she looked different. As opposed to the woman who was the butt of all the jokes for this text, now, to Gawain, Dame Ragnall was breathtaking. He, uh, what? How did she look like that? He said that just today, she was her, and now she was, Her? She was stunning. How did this make any sense? Dame Ragnall put her fingers on Gawain's lips. Partially to explain. Partially to get him to shut up about how ugly he had found her earlier on that day. She kissed him. Unlike earlier that day, he did not recoil. She said this was her. But her beauty was not constant. She had been cursed by an evil stepmother. She had lost her beauty. Her curse could only be lifted when she married the best knight in the land. Even now, it was still only partially lifted. Gawain had a choice to make. Gawain took her hands into his. Yes. For her, anything. She said that he could choose when she was like this, and when she looked like the Dame Ragnall he had married. It could be one of two ways. Either she would be like this for him and him only at night and be the other way during the day or she would be the version that he found less attractive whenever they were alone but anytime anyone else was around she would look like this, the one he found attractive. It was his choice to make. Gawain made a fist curses. What a hard choice and I'm going to summarize the text here so you don't think I'm being terrible. Gawain working through all of this aloud, said that if she was beautiful at night alone, he would lose honor and respect. But if she was beautiful during the day only, he would lose his pleasure. Ah, why were things so difficult for him? Then, he thought back. Back to the year he spent wandering Britain. To the book that he collected, containing the myriad of answers to the question, what do women want? Truly, Both instances of wanting to be thought well of by others and wanting to be with someone who loved them and found them attractive applied here. But all the answers in that book had been wrong. No, he knew what women wanted. This isn't about me, though. This is your life, Gawain said, finding his wife's eyes in the moonlight. "'It's not about my honor or respect or pleasure. "'It's about you,' he chuckled. "'Sovereignty. "'It's about being able to make your own choices "'about your own life. "'And this, it's not my choice to make,' "'Gawain said with a smile. "'It's yours. "'He wanted her to choose what happened with her life.'" Dame Ragnall moved to tears embraced her husband. She buried her face in his neck. He passed the test. He said, test? Ragnall's voice bubbled with happiness. Yes, the stepmother's curse wasn't just to marry the best knight in Britain, but the best man. And with that, Gawain had showed himself to be both. The curse was now completely broken. She wouldn't have to go back to being the Dame Ragnall that he married. She could stay like this forever, as herself forever. It was over. The pair kissed again. We'll finish up today's story and see why Ragnall is not mentioned anywhere in the legends, but that will, once again, be right after this.
1: Selling a little Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
2: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
0: Arthur said to Yvain outside the door the following afternoon. I'm really worried that he's dead. It's pushing three in the afternoon. I knew she was a road troll. Yvain said he had no idea, but he was worried too. They should break the door down. His lion was pretty good at that. Or, you know, knock, they heard inside. They breathed. Oh, good. It was Gawain. He was still alive. They heard the fumbling of the lock. and Gawain opened up, wrapped in a bedsheet. Arthur and Yvain looked to the form wrapped in bed. They couldn't quite see her. Uh, Cool. Looked like Gawain found that he had a very particular type. Good for them. Arthur wished them all the happiness in the world. Then, Dame Ragnall sat up, also wrapped up, saying hello to the guys. And this is a bit of an awkward portion in the original text, where everyone rejoices for Gawain and Ragnall, that she is good-looking now. Still, though... Ragnall and Gawain had what few knights or lords and ladies in Camelot had. Love. Pure, simple, and unconditional. They respected and cared for one another, and were happy. They had one son together, and for a time, their lives were nothing but joy. Dame Ragnall, it seemed, was playing a longer, more thoughtful game than her brother. When she married Sir Gawain, and the pair fell in love, she found herself in control of her family lands, which Gawain, not really caring or really knowing that he had them in the first place, agreed to Ragnall's request to give them back to her brother. I wish I could say they lived happily ever after. But the legend of King Arthur is long, and even though Gawain found love and happiness here, it would ultimately distract him from the devotion required of him to do what would one day need to be done in the final days of Arthur's reign. The story. To correct this, has Dame Ragnell die from illness just five years after her marriage to Gawain. Still, she lives on as a powerful character who was unapologetically herself, one who stood proudly when others told her to hide, who blocked the way when people told her to step aside. She was a force of nature in Arthur's court and the one true love of Sir Gawain, whose memory would stay with him until the day he would die for Arthur and finally blissfully go to join her. I mean, cruelty to Ragnell's initial looks aside, this was a sweet story. It comes full circle with Gawain changing and growing as a person, and everyone resolves their problems without conflict. Yes, it's uncomfortable how Ragnall somewhat forces Gawain into marriage, and is seemingly about to coerce him into other stuff, but I think that's also a commentary on what women had to go through, especially in those times. I feel like a young woman marrying a man they find repellent was probably far more common than what happened in today's story. Where a king had to literally be held hostage for that to happen. It's just a nice story of love, respect, and understanding, and I'm glad we were able to tell it. Next week is Still Not the Popovo, still finishing that one up. We're in Indian folklore next week, with some brutal animal fables and, of course, stomach snakes. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a salt shooter for taking out flies in your house, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that won't accidentally lead to you blasting someone in the eyes with salt when trying to kill a fly. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this week is the Nalusa falaya from the legends of the Choctaw people in North America. So... Reason number 323 not to go out into the dark forest alone, you could be transformed into an unwitting sleeper agent, who could be called on at any time to do evil against your loved ones, but only if the Nalusophilia inserts spikes into your feet. Yeah, so, the Nalusophilia is a humanoid creature that stands about the average height of a human, speaks in a human voice, and has very small eyes, long pointed ears, and a deeply shriveled face. Also, she has spikes on her back. They live in the dark forest, or as if deciding that's not creepy enough, swamps. To get some people to stop by, they'll make animal sounds. Whether it's the call of a bird that a hunter is going after, or a deer crashing through the forest, the Nelusophilia is able to lure hunters, and I guess maybe bird watchers alike, into her power. Then, they'll hear another call. This one will cause the hunter to fall to the ground, and possibly lose consciousness. We're not quite sure, because the hunters have no memory of the incident. They definitely have no memory if the Nalusafalaya chooses to just straight up eat them. Bad times. Worse times, though, if she doesn't eat them. She has spines on her back, and she'll remove one, sliding it into the victim's hands or feet, giving them the inclination to inflict evil on others. The catch... The hunter doesn't know that it's been done until they are activated to do evil to their family or village. Then they feel an unrelenting call to do whatever the Nalusifalaya has planned for them. The Nalusifalaya was always pretty evil, and I guess there's an adolescent version where they are smaller and glowing. Oh, and they also have the ability to remove internal organs from your body, causing excruciating pain. I can't find any way to ward off this particular creature, so... My advice, as it says on our t-shirts and mugs, is and remains, don't go into the dark forest alone. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.